Tonight, a dangerous storm moving in with extreme warnings from coast to coast. The winter weather bomb in the U.S. now bearing down on Canada. It is a beast. It is something that you see. It's, it's called a bomb. Where it is and where it's heading. Travel delays and deepening desperation at Canadian airports. I just wanted to get out. The holdups with holiday plans on the line. We're just hoping that our flight will be on time. Plus, a key mission accomplished on the International Space Station. To really boost the overall output. NASA astronauts get back on track after being delayed by debris. CTV National News with Omar Sachedina. Reporting tonight, Morella Fernandez. Good evening. There wasn't much calm before a major winter storm. That's because everyone was getting ready for an ominous mix of snow, ice and wind being described as a bomb cyclone. Most of the country is under some sort of weather warning tonight. Extreme cold and snow in the west and that storm bringing blizzards and flash freezing to the east. That system has already made its way through parts of the U.S. where it is described as a once in a generation event. Our coverage begins tonight with CTV's Annie Bergeron-Oliver. Barreling across the United States is a hazardous storm bringing whiteout conditions so strong you can barely see out the window of this car. Tonight, more than 100 million Americans are under some kind of winter weather alert. It sucks. I hate it. Visibility isn't great, and then when your car fogs up, um, it's really not good. This is an absolute whiteout. The same system causing a cross-country U.S. winter storm. Snow we're used to. It's the temperature dropping so fast. Is hitting Canada tonight with high howling winds, blizzards, rain, and flash freezing. We're waiting for this Grinch uh, uh, before Christmas to arrive on the scene. I mean, it is a beast. It is something that you see. It's it's called a bomb. The wild weather is going to be fierce and fast. A challenge for city crews tasked with keeping the capital street safe. We have to be able to react to each of those conditions. So whether we're plowing snow, working on drainage or treating ice, we're going to apply the appropriate materials. And if we are dealing with flash, flash freeze, we're definitely going to be plowing and then we're going to be salting those, those transportation networks. While Ottawa gets out the salt and prepares the plows, People across the province are preparing to be snowed in. Just got a brand new shovel. I worn mine out, so I'm getting one ready and getting it ready for the snow. I actually picked up uh, batteries and flashlights <laughs> just in case because I heard the power might go out. We're just getting some hockey in before the storm. Lots of rain, snow. Should be fun, eh? Power crews in Nova Scotia, meanwhile, are cutting back trees and shoring up the grid to try and prevent widespread power outages. Let's show the number. power going on? Hydro-Quebec is warning people to prepare an emergency kit that can sustain them for up to 72 hours in case of a blackout. And because of this storm, Rella, many school boards across eastern Canada will be closed tomorrow. All right, time to buckle up, Annie, in Ottawa tonight. For more on what we can expect, let's bring in meteorologist Kelsey McEwen from CTV's Your Morning. Kelsey, take us through the next 48 hours, where the storm will hit first and what areas will be the hardest hit. 
The hardest hit on Friday will be Ontario and Quebec. What starts first is rain or wet snow for some will quickly flip over to snow or blowing snow thanks to the arrival of this vigorous cold front. Temperatures will go from slightly above zero, plummeting below freezing as that front moves its way across the region. Now as that happens, two things will occur. A flash freeze, but also all that rain flips over to snow. We've got blizzard conditions expected for Niagara off the shores of Lake Huron and Georgian Bay. Ottawa, Montreal, significant snow. 20 to 30 centimeters and everywhere across the region damaging winds anywhere between 70 to 100 kilometers an hour now that type of wind that will cause structural damage will also likely see power outages it will also drive significant waves off of lake erie and lake ontario on those northern shores through friday we see rain and damaging winds in our maritime provinces as well this will then move into newfoundland and labrador for saturday and then in behind that for ontario and quebec you can expect snow squalls to take you right through the holiday weekend. All right, so this system is being called a bomb cyclone. What exactly is that? So this is the collision of two very different air masses. We have frigid Arctic air meeting warm, moist air from the Gulf of Mexico. And these have incredibly different uh, temperature ranges. The collision of those two, it's almost violent. It causes that central pressure of the storm to drop significantly. Now for you at home, the lower the pressure of a storm, the stronger it is. For something to be called a weather bomb, you need that central pressure to drop 24 millibars in 24 hours or less. This happens in wintertime and it produces a lot of precipitation and very strong winds. All right, Kelsey, good to have you. Thanks very much for that. So the weather has WestJet cancelling flights tomorrow in Toronto and other cities in Ontario and Quebec. It's also cancelling flights in and out of several B.C. airports until tomorrow afternoon. Now that's because of another major system out west, which is bringing a triple winter weather hit of heavy snow, ice pellets and freezing rain. The freezing rain is such a concern, in fact, that my ministry is strongly advising against any form of travel from tonight through Saturday. Up to 30 centimeters expected in some parts. And BC Hydro is warning of widespread power outages, with drivers asked again to stay off the roads. Travel has already been a problem in BC this week, with more than 750 flights cancelled. As CTV's Adrian Gobriel reports, that disruption had wider consequences. As Vancouver Airport braces for yet another winter storm, passengers in the east are trying to make the mad holiday dash. It's only a five-hour delay so far. I'm going to Hong Kong. If I don't get there, I'm screwed. At Vancouver International, a 48-hour ban on international arrivals is in place in an effort to alleviate the unprecedented backlog that left some passengers stuck on the tarmac for 11 hours, according to the airport CEO. Totally unacceptable, I totally agree, and uh, apologize to the passengers who were on those aircraft. Though the reality is, flabbergasted flyers are still grounded. We arrived here Tuesday night at 6 p.m., so that's been two and a half days. Those cancellations on the West Coast are now snowballing from coast to coast. What we're seeing right now that there are even some destinations that are delayed that you wouldn't think of, like maybe down south. Uh, all of these flights are connected. Some of the weather that, that they're predicting, I mean, I, like I'm a pilot, and I mean, I'd be sitting there going. <laughs> the forecast at Canada's largest airport has seasoned aviation experts on high alert. The potential for a flash freeze and high winds in Toronto tomorrow could bring holiday season travel to a halt. If you're coming down on a runway and it's, it's icy, 
that wind is going to push you sideways. There's going to be people sliding off the runway. Passengers should be aware that with the winter weather that is coming here, that's going to add to the complications that we're seeing already. Tough news for so many who are asking for one simple gift this year. Just want to get home for the holidays, yeah. Here at Pearson Airport, officials say cancellations in the U.S. will compound the growing travel headaches. More than 2,100 flights were canceled south of the border today, and at least 1,600 are already on ice for tomorrow. Morella. Adrian Gorborough at Pearson tonight. In Alberta, the problem is extreme cold. The West Edmonton Mall says frigid temperatures caused part of a parkade ceiling to collapse. A water leak led to freezing that damaged the stucco facade. Fortunately, no one was hurt. But five people suffered minor injuries tonight after a fire on a Staten Island ferry. The ferry had to be evacuated after flames broke out in the engine room. There were almost 700 passengers on board. They were safely transported onto tugboats and other ferries as the fire was put out. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky is back on home soil tonight after a momentous visit to Washington. There, he won much-needed American defense support. But his visit is prompting a response from Vladimir Putin. The Russian leader says new American missiles won't stand in his way. Here's CTV's chief international correspondent, Paul Workman. The Ukrainian leader flew from America to a city in northeastern Poland before driving or taking a train back to Kyiv. On his way home after a whirlwind journey, barely 36 hours to plead for more help from the United States. Pausing to give the president of Poland a briefing on his talks and issue one of his trademark selfie updates. We are coming back from Washington, he said. We are coming back with good results, the ones that will really help. Help in the form of American Patriot missiles that can defend against Russian aerial attacks, against the kind of large-scale bombardment Ukrainians have endured in waves since October. From what I've read, he says, the Patriots can detect Russian missiles right after they're launched, which means we can shoot them down earlier. Patriots are a rather old system, Russia's president scoffed today and said his country would find a way around them. Ukraine's air defense system relies for the most part on rockets developed in the Soviet Union and it's fast running out of them, which makes the promise of American help both crucial and deeply appreciated. The more heavy toys, the more heavy equipment we have, he says, the faster the war will end. After getting a hero's welcome in the U.S., Ukraine's president returned to a dire winter reality. The war has slowed to a halt, and it could be months before Patriot missiles are in place to offer any kind of relief, Morella. All right, Paul, appreciate the update. Disgraced FTX crypto king Sam Bankman-Fried has been released from jail as he awaits trial on fraud charges. He left a New York courthouse today wearing an electronic monitoring bracelet. He posted a $250 million bond co-signed by his parents. Under his bail terms, he'll be under house arrest at their California home. Prosecutors say Bankman-Fried's decision not to fight extradition from the Bahamas 
factored into the bail decision. The former CEO of FTX is accused of swindling investors out of $8 billion. Time for a two-minute break, but when we come back... Hey, Frank, we understand it's a tight fit in there. Astronauts go on a spacewalk after dodging debris. Plus... Yeah, we feel safe with them. From Ukraine to Canada, two teenagers get a chance to chase their dreams. Canada's largest pediatric hospital says it could be weeks before it fully recovers from a cyber attack. SickKids Hospital in Toronto says no medical or personal information was compromised, but the ransomware attack that hit last weekend has led to delays getting test results. Another headache for the hospital already struggling to manage a spike in respiratory illnesses. The International Space Station got a technical upgrade today. Astronauts installed a new solar panel during a spacewalk. But as CTV Jean-Vierre Beauchemin reports, there are still concerns about a coolant leak discovered last week. Uh, a fix now uh, of Josh Cassidy's spacesuit. NASA astronauts Josh Cassidy and Frank Rubio suited up to venture out into space. Three, two, one. Their mission, to boost the power supply to the International Space Station, installing rollout solar panels. Keeping uh, a constant, steady, safe supply of power from a solar array is really important. And so they got that installed today, and, and that's a really important mission to be doing. Their seven-hour spacewalk was on the schedule Wednesday, but garbage delayed it. A piece of an old Russian rocket forced mission control to fire up the space station thrusters to avoid a potential collision. And we had to do an altitude adjustment of the space station. Debris has been building up in space and is increasingly becoming an issue. Still, NASA's spacewalk went ahead today, while one planned for Russia's cosmonauts was scrapped earlier this month. The Soyuz rocket docked to the ISS sprung a leak on December 14th, spraying coolant into space. After studying images and data from Canadarm2, the Canadian-built robotic arm, engineers have now ruled out a nearby meteor shower had pierced the spacecraft. So we got some work to do with imagery. To, to better understand if it was a meteorite hit or if it was uh, a hardware issue. So if your safety tether... Tracking uh, the cause, finding out if a fix is uh, possible, well, that's top of the agenda. Right now, there's only one working escape vehicle docked to the ISS, one lifeboat not big enough for all seven astronauts on board. As long as nothing goes wrong, everybody's safe, but they don't have a contingency plan for everybody on board the ISS, and that is something that no space agency likes to have. The Russian space agency is looking into sending up another unmanned spacecraft, but that wouldn't happen until February. Geneviève Beauchemin, CTV News, Montreal. Straight ahead. Well, Davies arriving! Canadian soccer sensation Alfonso Davies scores another top honor. For the third straight year, Canada soccer has picked Alfonso Davies as its men's player of the year. 
The 22-year-old superstar led Canada to its first World Cup appearance in 36 years and scored the country's first-ever goal at the tournament. The World Cup and the Winter Olympics were two of the biggest sporting spectacles this year, events that showcase athletic achievement while also shining the spotlight on issues host nations would prefer to keep private. And that's where we begin our countdown of the top news stories of 2022 with number 10 tonight, CTV's Heather Wright, on how politics, sport and diplomacy mixed on a global scale. As the clock ticked down to the Beijing Olympics, calls to boycott the games grew louder. We are all under the oppressions of Chinese government. Genocide against the Uyghurs, atrocities in Tibet, violent crackdowns on free speech. We are extremely concerned by the repeated human rights violations by the Chinese government. Several countries, including Canada, announced a diplomatic boycott, a move met with disdain by Beijing. Their organizing committee spokesman said the concerns were made up, as he urged the world to instead focus on the spectacle of the Olympics. And for the third straight Olympics, Russian athletes were banned from competing under their country's flag, punishment for its state-sponsored doping program, not for its invasion of Ukraine, which happened just four days after the closing ceremony. It was also during this time that American basketball player Brittany Griner was detained in Moscow and charged with drug possession. In August, she was sentenced to nine years in prison, a bargaining chip in the increasingly hostile relationship between Moscow and Washington. She's on the ground. Stop it. Earlier this month, the 32-year-old was released in a prisoner swap with notorious arms dealer Victor Boot, known as the Merchant of Death. Nobody's doing backflips over here uh, about the fact that Mr. Boot is, uh, is a free man. The U.S. had hoped for a two-for-one deal that would have included Canadian-born Paul Whelan. In the end, though, only Griner made it home. Her case, an example of hostage diplomacy. While sport diplomacy was on full display for 29 days in Qatar. Never has so much money been spent to host a World Cup, the first in the Arab world. The winner is Qatar. The tiny Gulf state set out a decade ago to elevate its stature by hosting a glitzy tournament, highlighting its role as a diplomatic broker and increasing its international visibility. But the attention was not always the kind it wanted. What is happening is reputation laundering. From the get-go, Qatar's World Cup was mired in controversy, with allegations of bribery and corruption and questions about why FIFA's marquee tournament was given to a country where it's illegal to be gay and women's rights are frequently violated. I went to Qatar with the hope of bettering my life. Human rights groups quickly sounded the alarm over Qatar's treatment of migrant workers. Thousands are believed to have died building the infrastructure needed to host soccer's biggest tournament. Today I feel uh, gay. FIFA boss Johnny Infantino tried to address some of the criticism leveled against the host country the day before kickoff, in a speech widely panned as disrespectful and hypocritical. His promises of inclusion further undermine when at the last minute, FIFA threatened a yellow card to any captain wearing the One Love rainbow armband in support of LGBTQ2S plus rights. In their first match, Iran's soccer team brought politics directly to the pitch, 
refusing to sing their national anthem, a show of solidarity with protests back home. Some diplomacy was overt. Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman sat with the Emir of Qatar at the opening ceremony, a sign of thawing tensions between the two neighbors. And while no major Western leader attended the opening ceremony, top officials from around the world streamed through Qatar over the course of the tournament. For the first time ever, there were direct flights from Tel Aviv to Doha. A demand made by FIFA, it's not a sign of normalizing relations, but perhaps it's a step. A heartbeat and Messi! In the end, Qatar's World Cup might be remembered for the final, what many have called the greatest soccer match ever. Others hope the legacy goes further and that labor reforms finally implemented by the Qataris stay. But even if countries can't always get along, their citizens can. It's a time for like easing tensions between nations. Brought together by the power of sport. Heather Wright, CTV News, Toronto. Quite the year. After the break, a family opens hearts and home to young Ukrainian refugees. We leave you tonight with a story of two young Ukrainians who fled the war. Leaving their homes and families behind, they came to Canada in search of safety and connection and found both. CTV's Judy Trent reports. After escaping war, Victoria Tipikova and her best friend, Arthur Helenitian, have found safe haven in the care of a Canadian family. They uh, protect us and we don't feel like we are strangers. The teenagers were fleeing Sumy in northeastern Ukraine, one of the first cities to be attacked by Russian forces. Just like a typical family. After finding out that an Ottawa real estate agent was trying to place Ukrainians with families, Denise Delat and her husband, Phil Ritchie, stepped up to be sponsors. They had space in their home after their three adult children moved out for work and university. In September, the couple welcomed Arthur at the airport. Victoria arrived six weeks later. For two kids, I could make a difference, you know. Um, and I hope for their families, knowing that they're safe and that we're trying to give them as much opportunity as we can. Arthur was on the cusp of turning 18. He was about to be conscripted into the Ukrainian army, and his dream of becoming a professional dancer was about to be derailed. I asked my family, can we leave Ukraine because I want to, um, I want a really good future for me. After Russian soldiers were pushed out of Sumy, Victoria's parents decided to stay in Ukraine, but let her go to Canada so she could continue school and pursue a career in the arts. They told, okay, build your life. It will be hard, but... The lad and her partner are health professionals at the Children's Hospital. They have committed to being the temporary guardians for the teenagers for at least one year. They make us laugh a lot. They get a hundred times back what we put in. Meanwhile, Arthur and Victoria are now studying English as a second language in high school, playing, dancing, and dreaming once more. Judy Trin, CTV News, Ottawa. That's a wrap on the day. For Omar Sachadina and all of us here at CTV National News, thanks for sharing your time, and we'll see you again tomorrow.